Hi there. Welcome to Anchors for Life. We're happy that you're with us today. And I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. Uh, to start with uh, today, we want to look at, uh, we've been in this series on knowing the God that knows you. And, uh, and throughout our Christian lives, many of us have experienced this, I'm sure, Throughout our Christian lives, as we go along, we're, we're saved at one point in our life, and and uh, we have a, a desire to know this God that has redeemed us and that has purchased us at a price, the very price of His own precious, uh, the, His precious Son, and uh, through His uh, precious blood that was shed at Calvary's cross, and and we have a desire to get to know Him and to know Him better, and then. Uh, later on in life, we may level off a bit in, in that passion, that desire. But uh, what we want to do uh, today is to realize that even after long periods of time, we need to develop this passion. We need to continue to ignite this flame, this passion for the Lord Jesus Christ, to get to know him better and better. And that's what we want to look at today. And uh, as we think about creating this deep desire to know him, uh, here in Acts chapter 9, we're introduced to Saul of Tarsus. Uh, we later know him as, as Paul. And uh, when, we, when we hear uh, him ask these two questions. Now, let's just remind ourselves who Saul of Tarsus is. Saul of Tarsus was a very religious Pharisee. We get his pedigree uh, really uh, laid out for us in Philippians chapter 3 from verse from about verse 4 down to about verse 6. We we get his pedigree that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees and, and that he was very zealous. And in fact, we see his zeal here in the early chapters of Acts. And when S Stephen was being stoned to death, because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his testimony of Christ to the to his people, and they're stoning him to death. And as he's calling out on the name of the Lord, uh, they laid their clothes at a young man's feet, and that young man was Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And in Saul is found, um, it says uh, that Saul consented to Stephen's death in chapter 8, verse 1. And now, here in chapter 9, we find that he's still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest, and he asked for letters from the high priest to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found any that were in the way, if he found anyone that were following the Lord Jesus, it was called the way because the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, in John 14, 6. And so it was commonly called in that day, the way, and we find this throughout the book of Acts several times. It's mentioned as the way. And so Saul said that if I find any in the way, whether men or women, I might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And we know that he not only would bind them, but he... he in uh, in a letter to Timothy, he 
would refer to himself as a blasphemer, a murderer, one who was uh, uh, insolent against God and against the things of God. And so we find him then in this condition of heart. And in verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell down on the ground, and he heard this voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's the voice of the Lord Jesus speaking to Saul. And he calls his name twice. And he says, Saul, Saul, very much wanting to get his attention and grabbing a hold of not only his attention, but of his heart. And then we find that uh, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then in verse 5, Saul then says, who are you, Lord? What an important question to ask. And in our subject and in our, in our series of considering knowing God, knowing the God that knows you, how important this question really is. Here is an unbeliever asking this question, Who are you, Lord? He, he knew that he, he was an authority above him. He knew that, that what he's just experiencing right now, that he needed to show respect and he needed to show uh some, some type of reverence. And so he says, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. It, it's hard for you to continue this path because the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart right now. In fact, it was the man in the glory who was speaking to him. And no doubt the Spirit of God was working upon his heart at that very moment. And so, uh, in, a, in a manner of surrender, we hear this. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? And the answer was to arise and to go into the city, and you will be showed what you must do. And so Paul does that. Saul does that. He, go, he rises, he goes to the city, and one of the first things that we find him doing is that he is praying. We read that down in verse 11, when, when God tells Ananias to go up to him. And uh, Ananias, of course, was a little afraid because he had heard about uh, this Saul of Tarsus. He had seen uh, and heard of what Saul had, had done and was doing to the people of God. And so he was a little bit uh, uh, holding back. And the Lord says, no, I want you to go up to him. You'll find him there. And what he's doing in verse 11 is that he is praying. And then he tells him, uh, go, for he is my chosen vessel. Uh, he is my chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him many things that he must suffer for my name's sake. And of course, Ananias goes up and he greets him as Brother Saul. And then we see later on in the chapter, Saul tries to join himself with the disciples. And they, of course, were uh, a little bit fearful and, and trepidatious toward him and held back. And then Barnabas comes alongside him in, in Barnabas, typical Barnabas fashion. And he encourages uh, Saul. And then later we know his name to be changed to Saul, not to Paul, from Saul. 
And so these two questions that Saul asked, I, I want to just go back to them. Uh, who are you, Lord? The answer is, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then, Lord, what would you have me to do? And the Lord certainly gave him something to do. Now, when we think about this, what's interesting from, uh, from this very moment in Acts chapter 9, when Paul is revealing, uh, being revealed who this God is, it's being revealed to Paul who this God is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who's speaking to him from heaven. And, uh, and, and throughout Paul's ministry, Paul, who wrote 13 letters in the New Testament, Paul, who served the Lord uh, for many, many years, and we find that um, this man in the book of Philippians, and that's where I want us to turn next, we find in the book of Philippians something that's very outstanding. Now, by the time the book of Philippians is being written, uh, by the time we get to chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul had been living and serving the Lord for 30 years. For 30 years. And as I said, he gives his pedigree in the verses 4, 5, and 6 of chapter 3. But listen to this. He says, after he's listed his pedigree, all the things that he was as a Jew, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a uh, 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 Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, he was a Pharisee, concerning zeal, he persecuted the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, he was blameless. But then we read, but, what a word. It's a word of contrast in all of that. In contrast to that, he says, but what things were gained to me, all those things that were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. I gave them all up. They mean nothing to me. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 8, yet indeed I also count all things lost. So I want you to notice the difference here. In verse 7, he says, I have counted all things lost. So he looks back at his past and he says, in my past, my pedigree, my religious pedigree, everything that I've earned, everything that has come to me, I count all that. I, I count it as loss. But presently in verse 8, yet indeed I also count, present tense, Right now, right where I'm living, I count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Now, I'll stop there in the reading and just underline this, that here what Paul is saying is not only in the past do I count things, but right now the only thing that means anything to me is that presently 
in verse 8, I count, he says, I count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Way back in Acts chapter 9, on that Damascus road, he surrendered to the Lordship of Christ in his life. He surrendered his heart, his body, his soul, his mind, everything to the Lord. And he says, who art, you? Who art thou, Lord? And then he says, Lord, after he surrendered, after he knew who this was, he surrendered to him and he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? Now, here's the heart of a servant. Here's the heart of a surrendered believer. And how wonderful that is. And, and, and so now he says, my Lord, for whom I have suffered loss of all things, and count them, continue to count them as rubbish. The word rubbish here means dung, manure. He says, I count them as garbage. That's Paul's uh, own perspective because of what Christ has done in his life. But then notice this. He says, and to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, as we've read, but look at verse 10. In order that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Now, we look at that, and we, we say, well, wait a minute. I thought Paul met the Lord on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. And indeed he did. Then how is it that he says that I might know him? Because Paul knew that you could never exhaust the knowledge of the Holy One. Paul knew that you could never uh, uh, arrive at a place where you can say, now I got it. Now, now I know who he is. You see, in this endeavor to know who he is, to know the Holy One better and better every day. It's an ongoing exercise of heart. It's an ongoing discipline in our lives where we just continue to run after the person of Christ, to get to know Him better, to know our Father in Heaven, God the Father, and God the Son, to, to know through God the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Spirit of God, to get to know the divine persons of the Godhead, the Father and Son, to be able to have fellowship with them in this intimate way. Paul says, I count everything else. My, my de deep desire in life is to run after the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to know Him. I, I, I've never arrived yet, he says, he, he, I, I, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Those things that he is dead to, I want to be dead to. Those things that he has risen to God for, uh, that I want to be alive to God in, in that power, of the resurrection power. I want it to be evident in my life. That same power that raised up Jesus from among the dead, I want that power in my life, Paul says. And we're told that that same power that has raised up the Lord Jesus from the dead now resides in you and I. The eternal spirit that raised up the Lord Jesus is now indwelling you and I. 
Having believed, we're sealed with the Spirit of God who is the guarantee until the day of redemption. That Spirit, that power is residing in you and I. We read in the book of Ephesians, starting in chapter 1, verse 19, uh, Paul uses four different Greek words to describe this power that is residing in us, to try to describe that resurrection power. And he says that power, the power of the Spirit of God, is, is living in each one of us. You know what that means for us. It means that we have no excuse. It means as a believer, as a follower of Christ, that he's given us everything that pertains to divine life. Second Peter 1 tells us. And so how important it is then that I realize, as Paul said, my deep desire is that I might be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which, which is from God by faith, in order that I might know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, the communion of his suffering. Now, this is an interesting term. And actually what we find is that the more we suffer for Christ, the deeper our fellowship is with him. Paul says to Timothy in another place, he says, anyone that desires to live godly will suffer persecution. And so when that comes, don't be surprised. When you live for God and you live for the Lord Jesus Christ and you begin to see things the way he sees them, don't be surprised when the rest of the world and when the, those that you work with, those that you go to school with, those that you rub shoulders with, don't be surprised when they're all swimming one way in the stream and you're swimming up the other way. Uh, against the tide, against the current of this, of the culture of this world. Don't be surprised, dear friend, when uh, you endure the suffering. But when you do endure it for that reason, realize that it is at that moment that you are enjoying the fellowship of his suffering. This fellowship of being identified with this blessed one. The fellowship of knowing this precious one that we're speaking of today. In the book of 1 Peter, I'll just mention this. In the book of 1 Peter, each chapter in 1 Peter deals with a different type of suffering. Suffering for a different reason. And so this is definitely a part of the Christian life. And for those that come alongside with the, with the prosperity gospel and they come alongside and say, God doesn't want you to suffer. God doesn't want you uh, to endure these things. This is not, this is not according to biblical uh, uh, principles in God's word. In fact, the apostle Paul himself uh, was suffering a, a thorn in the flesh and he asked the Lord three times to remove that thorn. And the Lord says, no. He says, I, I need you to feel your weakness. Because it's at that time when you're feeling your weakness and you're relying on me that my strength is made known in your weakness. And this is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 12. And I, I encourage you to read that passage. And, and what we find in that passage is that in that time of suffering, that his grace is sufficient. 
And if we suffer for the name of Christ, uh, then we are identifying with the very fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death. This is what we really desire uh, to happen in our daily lives. And so may the Lord help us then uh, to uh, allow the Spirit of God uh, to, to work in us and to present and to, 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 to form that deep desire uh, to be conformed into his image. And so when we look at these things, we'll pick up next time uh, as we see this. We want to look a, a little bit next time, a little deeper into this kind of life that we're talking about. And I want to suggest five practical steps the next time we're together uh, that will help us to uh, dive deeper into this uh, this kind of life where we would live for the Lord and that we would say that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So until that time, we would ask that you continue to pray for us here at Anchors for Life and we will continue to pray for you. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us at anchorsforlife.org. We'd be happy to answer those questions. You can reach us on Facebook, uh, Anchors for Life Facebook page. Uh, you can find us on the YouTube. And uh, we would just uh, uh, pray for you today as you listen that you might be anchored for life for his namesake.